Hey, good morning, everybody. My name's Aaron, one of the pastors here at Bridgewater, and we are so excited to have you here today. If you're new, let me just tell you what's going on. We are in the middle of a series that we're calling Let's Stop Pretending. And here's where it comes from. There's this, this line in a letter that was written about 2,000 years ago to a group of people who lived in Rome. And, and the line said, let your love be without pretending, okay? Let's not pretend about love in our interactions with one another. And so in this series, we're taking a look at our relationships, and we're taking the time to examine just some, some wisdom from the Bible on how our relationships might be able to improve. I know you don't need to improve your relationships, but I, I could work on it a little bit. I don't know, maybe, maybe somebody else as well, right? So today, um, we, are, we are in week two, and I'll, I'll tell you in just a minute what we're going to talk about. But before we do that, I want to start with a confession. Is that all right? Uh, you know, anybody have a clerical caller or anything? Can, 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 I just, can I start with a confession? In all seriousness, here, here, here's what it is. Um, some of my greatest regrets, if you, if you want to know something about me, some of my greatest regrets come from the way that I've handled conflicts. Not the way somebody else handled them. That, that's, that's not on me. Some of my greatest regrets, things that I look back at and I go, if ever there was a do-over button, this is probably where I'd use it. Some of my greatest regrets come from the way that I've handled conflict. A few of them with, with my children, Definitely ones with my wife, certainly ones with people that I'm close with as well, because can we just be honest, usually the biggest problems in conflict come from the people or come with the people that we are the closest to. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, this is a reality. The conflict is probably one of the greatest problems when it comes to relationships. And not only that, we, we live in a, in a society of conflict. Have you noticed this? We live in a, in a society that actually kind of thrives on and in some ways celebrates conflict. We have a, somebody was just talking to me after the first service and we have a news cycle that thrives on conflict. Like more people watch the news when there's what? More conflict or something bad happens. Here, here's what I'd say. I think we have a culture of Conflict. We have, we have a culture that just, you know, has conflict at every turn. Think about it. We have an entire government system that is based on this. Republicans versus what? Democrats. I thought about putting Democrats, but versus, and then, I, you know, I thought some of you would get mad. So, you know, that, that's a joke. Thank you. We have an entire system that's based on it. 
Not only that, in our last series when we were looking at what God has to say about kind of the end of time and looking at the conflict that's taking place in in Israel, between Israel and Hamas and then, you know, several other players in the Middle East, we have that going on and every day you can't turn on the news without seeing about Russia and who? It's Ukraine. I don't, it's okay. Maybe you don't watch the news. It's fine. Russia and Ukraine. I mean... It's happening everywhere. And then, I mean, if we want to talk about like big, important conflicts, we could talk about Taylor Swift and Kanye or Taylor Swift and and Katy Perry, right? You know, I mean, these are real, you don't know who that is, do you? Okay, it's, it's fine. Let's see if some of you know this one. When I was growing up, there was a huge conflict between Tupac and Biggie Smalls. Anybody know about that one? And it was a terrible conflict that actually resulted in an incredibly gifted young man losing his life. Right? We, we have a culture that celebrates and thrives on conflict. And here's the thing. I think a lot of it has seeped into you and me and how we tend to handle problems between us and other people. We even learn from a young age to kind of like stay away from, 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 from conflict and to kind of guard ourselves. We have, we have this saying that we learn. You learned this in kindergarten. It goes like this. Sticks and stones may break my bones. Okay, some of you are not awake yet. It's fine. You know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And you know, when I hear that, you know, the only thing I want to say is like, really? Like for real? If, if I could rephrase this, I'd say sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will land me back in counseling. <laughs> like for real? Because the things that people say to me and about me and the things that I say to people and about people, the conflicts that I have, man, they stick with us. Here, here's what I found. Conflict has a significant impact on our relationships. And if we are going to stop pretending if we are going to start living out our faith in a way that our relationships look different, then we are going to have to change the way that we handle conflict. We're going to have to allow the Holy Spirit, Christians are going to have to allow the Holy Spirit to change our hearts. Now here's the good news. If you're not, if you're not sure about Jesus yet, I would also tell you, you can apply some of these things in an incredible way as well, okay? But here's Here's, here's the kind of the big idea that we're going to go after today. I'm convinced of this. The way you handle conflict will determine the quality of your relationships. With your spouse, with your boyfriend, with your girlfriend, with people at school, with your teachers, with, with your neighbors, with your boss, with your in-laws or outlaws like we said last week or whatever you have. The way you respond the way I respond when conflict comes will determine the quality of my relationships because I'm convinced that you will face conflict. I wish I could give you a pill or a verse or something that you could walk out of here and go, boom, never going to have conflict again. Cool. This is great. But I can't. It's not going to happen. You will have conflict. You can't avoid that, but you can change the way 
you handle it. Now, let's do a little bit of self-evaluation before we get into God's word this morning, okay? I'm going to give you kind of two, two lists of, of, of responses when, when conflict comes up, okay? And I'd like you to just kind of evaluate your own heart, and that's part of what I tried to do before even getting ready to talk about this. But there's two different lists of responses, and I wonder which one tends to more accurately reflect how you re- respond when the heat is on, okay? You know, you know that song, the heat is on, okay? Yeah, you guys got that? All right. How do you tend to respond? The first list starts with attacking, right? Like, oh, how dare you? I can't believe. Or accusing. We know exactly what accusing is. Accusing is when you point your finger at somebody metaphorically or physically. It's like when you did this and you did this. And I always remember, like, I know it's dumb, but you remember when you point your finger at somebody else, remember there's, some of you just said four. (laughs) There's not four pointing at you. Three pointing back at you, right? Do we go with condemning? Like, I can't believe you would do that. I'll never be your friend again. I can't talk to you. I can't. Do we go with defensiveness when someone comes to us? I wouldn't do that. I'd never do that. How dare you? Or do we end with blowing up? What do you think? Now, nobody's, listen, I'm not trying to say you do this all the time or I do this all the time because I don't. But on occasion, I can pick up one of these and put them into my arsenal. How about you? What if we learned to respond in a different way with responses that involved listening and, and, and sharing observations? Hey, this, this happened the other day. Can I, can I just share with you uh, w- w- what I observed? I'm not sure I have this accurate, but could, could we talk about this? Or owning your own part or staying calm or, or extending or seeking forgiveness. What if, just what if, What if we could just start adopting some of these? Well, the good news is you can. And I want to walk you through a passage of scripture that that just lays out an incredible strategy for us to, to see a different approach, to take a different approach to conflict. The the passage that we're gonna look at is Romans chapter 12, okay? We were in the, a couple of verses in this passage last week. We're going to be in seven or eight verses in this passage this, this week. If you're using one of those We Have Free Bibles out there, you can grab one. If you're using that, you can open up to page 682. If you're using your own Bible, don't go to 682. I don't know where you'll be. You can figure it out from there. Now, before we get into the passage, there are a couple of warnings that I want to give to you, okay? This is like the Surgeon's General's warnings. You know, you read them. On, okay, uh, Yeah, let me give you a couple of warnings about this passage and about what happens when we kind of dive into God's word. Number one, um, the instructions that God gave are extremely countercultural. Like what what I'm going to walk us through today and what I believe God calls me to do, you will not find in a self-help book. In fact, you'll find something else. Okay? You'll find all kinds of things about avoiding or, 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 you know what, you don't need toxic people in your life and all kinds of stuff like that. I get that, okay? Th- this is countercultural. This is different, and I just want you to be aware, okay? Second, the instructions are hard. And if you're anything like me, we don't naturally like to do them. So this is going to take us outside of our comfort zone, Okay? So let's just start there, 
and we'll all get uncomfortable together. How's that sound? Sound great? Okay, good. Okay. Let me give you the overarching principle. There's, there's kind of a big principle that the author, a man named Paul, wrote in Romans chapter 12 in talking to a group of believers in Rome and how they should handle conflicts and how they should handle their differences in their relationships. The overarching principle is this. When there's a problem, overcome the problem or evil with good. Now, the world will tell you, you fight fire with And God says we fight fire with water. God, God says something different. Not always our approach, has it been? Can we be honest? Hasn't always been our approach. I would guess that you can be a person who can get a little fiery, or you can be a person who can escape, which, by the way, is still an attack response because you're stonewalling someone and saying, I'm not going to care about you enough to even converse with you. We don't fight fire with fire. We overcome evil with good. Here's where the principle comes from. It's at the end of the passage, Romans chapter 12, verse 21. Here's what it says. Don't let evil conquer you. And if we just stopped there, I would be like, yeah, cool. I don't want to be conquered by evil. That sounds terrible, right? Got it. Cool. But then he describes what it looks like, but conquer evil by doing good. Oh, I have to take an active part in not letting evil conquer me. I actually, when I'm confronted with difficulty or pain or suffering or conflict, I actually have to do someone good. Yeah. Why? Because we honor God and we honor others by overcoming evil with good. That is what we do. So in verses, 12, in verses um, 14 through 21, you're going to find, and I'll walk us through five strategies for overcoming evil, okay? We're going to walk through these five strategies, and here's what I'm going to do. I promise to, to walk through the text and do, do the best that I can to try to explain it. I want to ask you to do what I've been doing. I want to ask you to ask God to show you one that you can work on, okay? You may say, well, all five. Yeah, but I... I we don't work on five things at once. We work on one thing at once, okay? So would you commit yourself to asking God to show you one thing that you can work on? Here, here we go, starting at verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. When I think of persecution, I'm sure you can, you can think of things, you know, you can come up with things. People are mistreating you and abusing you. People are looking over you and looking down on you. And people are, are, are you know, causing you pain and angst and difficulty. And, and the very first words that Paul says is, bless them. Pray them up, brother. That's what he says. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Don't talk down on them. Don't speak ill of them. Don't slander them. Don't gossip them. Don't backbite. Don't spread rumors around your workplace. Don't talk about your spouse you know, poorly. Don't talk about that other person across the room. No, instead, pray that God will bless them. Wow. That's big. 
If we're going to overcome evil, we are going to have to change our approach. This verse is oddly similar to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, he says this. He starts with, but I say. Now, you need to know why that's there. It's because in the verse before, Jesus is talking to a group of, uh, of Jewish people who were very familiar with the Old Testament. And they had a rabbinical teaching that said, when somebody wrongs you, for example, if somebody purposefully or accidentally gouges your eye out, which of all the illustrations, I'm like, couldn't we pick a, a different one? Like, that's terrible. They said, if somebody gouges your eye out, it's an eye for a... You get it, don't you? Whatever somebody does to you, you do back. That was a rabbinical teaching. That's what people thought God meant in the Old Testament. And Jesus says, no, but I say, here's what it looks like. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. If we want to be clear on what God the character looks like, then I think it starts here. And it's hard. I'm not going to act like it's not hard. But this is what he says. So how do we do that? How do we, bless, how do we bless somebody in the midst of conflict? And how do we pray? Like, how do you pray for your spouse in the middle of the night when you're, you're just thinking, I just can't believe How do you do that? Well, I'll tell you one, one thing you do. It starts with controlling your tongue. There's a reason why Paul talks about blessing and not cursing, not speaking down curses and instead praying, praying God's blessings on them, praying that God would bring good. Use your tongue for good. But that involves controlling our tongues. It means I've got to change what my first response is. And my first response is, you, you, you know, I, I have a quick wit and a sharp tongue. I would guess I'm not the only one. Control your tongue. And then he goes on. He says this in verse 15. Be happy. Don't worry. Yeah, okay. No, not that. That's, yeah. Ah, I don't know what just happened, but somebody just connected to airplay. Here we go. That's pretty cool. We'll go up here. Be happy <laughs> with those who are happy. And weep with those who weep. What is he saying? He's saying you will have people who are going through times when they get a promotion or they get married. And, and guess what? You, they got engaged. And you've been wanting to get engaged for like five years. And, and now God says rejoice with them. And then you have people who have mistreated you for years and they are walking through all kinds of difficulty and now something bad and rough happens in their life, what do you do? <laughs> Frankly, I think we tend to go home and we tend to rejoice. But he says, no, weep with those who weep. What is he saying? If we're going to change our approach in conflict, we're going to have to stop focusing on ourselves and we're going to have to start focusing on others. That's what we're going to have to do. 
In the middle of conflict, you know who I can think about? Like I have blinders and all I can see is you cut me. You know? That's all I can see. And Paul says, no, it's got to shift. It's got to change. When something's going on and now a conflict has come up, you weep with those who weep. You mourn with those who mourn. That is what we are called to do. The problem is we tend to weep with those who are mourning and we tend to rejoice with those, or excuse me, we tend to, you know, we tend to weep and rejoice at the wrong things. Somebody got the promotion you wanted? You rejoicing? It's hard. The change of perspective requires that we start focusing on other people. Then it goes on in verse 16, and he says this live in harmony with each other. That's really cool. Like I I, I love this, right? Live in harmony with each other. It's kind of like, all right, we're all gonna get along. And we're going to sing Kumbaya, and it'll be great, until somebody steps in and upsets the apple cart. And it's not me who upsets it, right? It, it's the other person. You know, I tried to live in harmony with them until they decided to, you know, cause problems. No. You will have problems. You will have difficulty. And we are called to live in harmony with each other. Now, how do we do that? A couple things show up here. He starts talking to us about humility. He says, don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Now, real quick, I'm going to speak to the know-it-alls in the room. I know you're here because I'm here. And um, I have a son who is here. And um, yeah. Here, here's the thing, like, I grew up and my mom always called me, she was, she was like, you, you're just a know-it-all. If you, if you have this thing where somebody speaks and then you can't help but correct them, you're a know-it-all, okay? You might be a redneck if, no, I'm just kidding, okay? <laughs> Don't think you know it all. This is a call to humility, in the middle of a conflict, when somebody's saying something, you don't have to correct them. In the middle of a conflict, when someone is, is, is trying to explain something to, do, to you, you don't have to justify yourself. Don't think you know it all. And then he goes on, and he says this, verse 17, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. What is he saying? He's saying our, our actions in the middle of conflict should be so filled with humility that it is incredibly clear that our lives are in line with the good news of Jesus Christ. There are translations that say, that say it like this, like um, live in such a way that everyone can... can uh, agree that your lifestyle is right, here's the challenge with that. The world is not going to agree that your lifestyle is right, but they can tell that your lifestyle is different and honorable and filled with grace and humility and, and in line with Christ. So what is he saying that we should do? He's saying 
We need to keep doing what God has shown us is right. Now, I know your first response, if you're anything like me, is this. Oh, I'll do right as long as they do right. Oh, I'll talk right as long as they talk right. But once they hit below the belt, let's go. It's on. Cash me outside. How about that? You know, that's the way it is. And our culture rejoices in that. It really does. But Christians are called to something different. We're called to keep doing what is right. I love Over the years, I've had the privilege of digging into and learning more and more about the civil rights movement in in our country, Um, and one of the lines that has stuck with me, I I think I first read this line like seven or eight years ago, and one of the lines that has stuck with me is from Dr. Martin Luther King, and he says this, darkness cannot drive out darkness. It is physically impossible. Do you understand that? Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Like you may think that you can change things at your workplace by coming into the conflict and swinging. You can't. You may think you can fix your marriage by fighting fire with fire. You can't. You may think you can fix your kids by fighting fire with fire. You can't. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. We are called to keep doing what is right. So number one, we are are called very much so to change and control our tongues. Two, we're called to focus on others. Three, we're called to keep doing what is right regardless of what anyone else does. And then in verse 18, Paul talks to us about striving for peace. This is an important verse, okay? He says, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. And that's, that's great. You should. Like, if, if there's a conflict, don't ignore it. Don't run from it. Don't act like it's not there. Don't try to escape. Don't push it off on somebody else. Strive. Lean in. Lean in. Even if it's the thousandth time, lean in and strive for peace. But I do want you to notice something. Because the principle is that we should be striving for peace, right? But there's a key to it as well. Do all that you can. In any conflict, there's at least two people involved. And I can't control the other person. Oh, I'd like to think I can. I'd like to think that if I did everything right or said it right or convinced them or showed them that I had, you know, the intellect to say, oh, it's got to go like this, like they should agree with me. But no. Paul says the only thing you're responsible for is you doing what you can do. And then you leave it with God. Which means that we need to recognize our limits. There, there, there are people that I've had conflicts with that, that I, I, I can't change what, what, what's happened. There are people you've had conflicts with. You can't change what has happened, but you can do everything you can to live at peace with them, and then you leave it there. You leave it with God. I wonder if some of us here today need to leave something with God and wait on him to change a heart. Because sometimes we keep trying to fix it and fix it and fix it and we make it worse. 
Let's look at verse 19. Verse 19, he says, Dear friends, never take revenge. We've heard that before in this passage, haven't we? I think he said, don't pay back evil for evil. And they said, whatever you do, don't pay back evil for evil. And now he's saying, don't take revenge. That seems to be a little bit of a common theme. Why, why is that? Could it be that we are naturally bent towards revenge? Could it be that we are naturally bent towards making sure that, that not only do I know that I'm right, but you know that I'm right, so I need to... You, you, you know, prove it. Paul's saying, no. We don't take out revenge. But there's someone who does, look. Leave that to the righteous, which is the idea of he, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Leave that to the righteous anger of whom? Aaron. Yay. No. Leave it to the righteous anger of God. Righteous meaning, meaning he always does what is right and he never does what is wrong. He is a just God. He has the ability to do what I do not have the ability to do. He has the ability to always do what is right and never do what is wrong. He has the ability to be impartial, which you do not and I do not. And so we commit our conflicts to God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. So if we're going to leave something in God's hands, what in the world do we do? Well, verse 20 tells us. Verse 20 tells us exactly how to step through this. He says, instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. You don't go get a sword for a fight. You go get some food. You don't go get a gun, you get some water. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If your enemies are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. What is he saying? What is, what is, what is Paul saying we do with our enemies? Okay, This is kind of the capstone of it all. What do you do with your enemies? You kill them with kindness. You kill them with kindness. That was meant to be theatrical and jokey, but it wasn't very funny, so sorry. Okay. Now, the reality is that the best way for me to get rid of an enemy is not to go get a shovel, but to turn them into a friend. That's the best thing I could do. The best way for me to get rid of an enemy it's not a shovel. We live, we live in rocky ground. Do you understand that? Don't think about shovels. It's not going to work. Think about making them your friend. And then he wraps it all up. Again, Paul, Paul wraps the whole section up with this statement. He says, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you two illustrations, and then I'm going to close. 
The first one's from scripture, and then the second one is from my own life. The first one shows up in Acts chapter 7 in the midst of a man named Stephen um, trying to sh- share Jesus with, with people. This happened, um, historically happened. Actually, this is one of the stories that a, that a Jewish historian who was not a Christian, who was hired by the Romans, uh, a man named Josephus, actually talks about in his historical writings in, in Jewish antiquities, okay? Written 2,000 years ago. He talks about this man, Stephen, okay? So you can, you can trace it out historically, in Acts chapter 7, he's telling people about Jesus, and, and people are getting in closer and closer and closer. And then in verse 57, it says, says this. It says, then they, the people around, put their hands over their ears, and they began shouting. They rushed at him, and they dragged him out of the city, and they began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. So two things. They're stoning him. They're, they're killing him. And they lay their feet they're, they're, lay their feet, lay their coats at the feet of a man named Saul. And then verse 58, I want you to see Stephen's response. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees, shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Now, here, here's the deal. This type of behavior in the midst of a conflict and persecution and even loss of life, this type of behavior had a dramatic impact. You don't believe me? If we back up one verse and we talk about them laying their coats at the, man, at the feet of a man named Saul, can I tell you who that man is? His name is Saul. He later became Paul, and he's the guy who wrote this letter to the Romans and planted churches all over the Mediterranean rim because God changed his heart. My approach to conflict will determine the outcome of my relationships. Second, in my own life, years ago when I was in high school, it wasn't that many years ago. Okay, maybe it was. But, you know, years ago when I was in high school, um, a new guy moved in, new kid moved into our, our school district my sophomore year. His name was Justin McElroy, and, and he's one of those guys that immediately, as soon as he walked into the, uh, walked into the high school, you know, you, you remember new kids showing up and like first day, he walked into the high school and like all the guys saw him and then were like, and then all the girls saw him and were like, whoa, you know? And so immediately we were all on edge and then... He started playing all the same sports that I did, and he was more uh, athletically gifted than me, and so he started taking my spots, and before I knew it, Justin and I did not like each other at all. We spent the next two years kind of being enemies, and then my senior year, at the beginning of the year, our Fellowship of Christian Athletes team was planning a large outreach. We wanted to see 300 of the kids in our school, at a school of about 500. We wanted to see 300 kids at this event, and we were praying for X number of people to trust Christ. I don't remember all the details. We had an entire weekend of our team getting together, praying and fasting. I remember begging God to change hearts and lives. 
The event came, I was speaking at the event, got up to speak, and as soon as I stood up to speak, they turned around and could see the crowd. There was, there was like 350 kids there, teenagers there, and sitting in the front row was Justin McElroy. And I was instantly on edge. Made it all the way through, and at the end we gave a gospel invitation. And Justin got up and walked over to me. And I got to lead Justin to put his faith in Jesus that day. Not because of me, but because of God's grace. But you know, God was working on two hearts that day. He was working on Justin's, and he was working on mine. Because now, I had a brother in Christ that I needed to change my approach. I should have changed my approach a long time before that. God was working on me. What if you and I would stop trying to one-up one another and we would start choosing to overcome evil with good? I just wonder what would happen. So I leave you with this. Here's the five. One through five. Control your tongue, focus on others, keep doing what is right, recognize your limits, kill them with kindness. I wonder which of the five is for you. As I close in prayer, if you're looking for more resources throughout this series, we'll be walking through all kinds of things on relationships. Um, we, we've got a bunch of resources on our website. You can go to the landing page. We'll put the QR code here. You can take a picture of it if you want, if you want or you can just go to our website and go to resources. Um, you will find a number of other resources that will be a help to you to stop pretending and start loving in a way that's consistent. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us this much. Thank you for being kind and patient with us. Thank you that you are far more patient with me than I tend to be with others. And God, I pray that you'd continue to do a work on me and my heart, and you'd continue to do a work on us so that we would be a group of people that, that the culture and the community couldn't argue with. Not that they, wouldn't, not that they would always agree with us, but they couldn't, couldn't argue with, with, with the way that we live because we're not going to be people who are complaining or tearing others down. We're not going to be people who are, who are backbiting or are or, 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 or speaking ill of others. We are going to be people who commit ourselves to you and allow you to be the judge. No one else. God, I pray that you would change us. We ask in Jesus' name.